So, let's dive into it. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to read 1 Peter 2, verse 18 to 21. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So this is the text we're working with this morning. And did you notice that it begins, slaves, submit. Then there's fighting words. Um, people don't want to, you don't want to hear that. Um, and, 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 and one of the things I want to address today, because, we, you know, this, this being used against Christianity, people, people who, who want nothing to do with God, people who hate the church, hate Christians, they, they look at this slave submit and this passage and other passages like that, and, and they, they use it to mock Christianity and to say, look, look what, look what you Christians believe. Look at what the Bible, the Bible teaches. The Bible justifies slavery. The, the, the Bible permits slavery. How unjust, you cruel people, you, you Christians. And, and, and so I want to address it on that level, first of all. And, and secondly, I want to take it to another level because uh, I think what's going on in America, uh, they're rewriting our, our history in America. And, and, I, and I, my thinking is, is that's because I believe America was founded with Judeo-Christian values. So when you attack America and how America has done it, it's, another, it's a further attack against Christians because this was a Judeo-Christian country at one time. And let me take you to the two, 2000. In, in 2019, that's just what, five years ago, the 1619 Project came out. And, and this is by former New York Times writer Nicole Hannah-Jones. Have you heard of the 1619 Project? Um, she, she claims that America's true founding took place when slavery began on the continent, not with the Declaration of Independence. So... so the way she's writing history, the way she's teaching history, is it began in America when they brought slaves to the continent. That's when it began. The 1619 curriculum is free, and currently it's being used in all 50 states. And today we have an entire generation that is being taught this. Um, I have a problem with that, just saying. Uh, because what they're teaching is America is a racist nation. What they're teaching is America is systematically racist. America created slavery. And the American white supremacist government fueled and financed the slave trade. That's, that's what I'm hearing. And I go back to this, this is an attack on America because it's an attack on the Judeo-Christian values of America. It's not true. It's not factual. It's not accurate. This is misleading. This is fake history. And it's having a huge impact on our world today, on our nation today, on, especially on young people today who don't know their history. So I'm gonna, I want to take you through a history lesson. Um, wait, before I do that, let me, I want to quote the, the great theologian Bill Maher, um, which I have a hard time doing. Um, but on this, I mean, he said something that got my attention. He says, the way people talk about slavery these days, you'd think it was uniquely an American thing that was invented in 1619. But slavery throughout history has been the rule, not the exception. Hmm. He goes on, he says, everybody who could afford one had a slave, including people of color. He, he says this here, he says, you, who do you think 
gathered the slaves from the interior of Africa to sell, the, sell to the slave traders. It was Africans who also kept their own slaves. And the capacity for cruelty is a human thing, not a white thing. That's the truth, even if it doesn't jive with the current narrative. I thought there's a, there's a lot of profound things that, that he said right there. So the, let me take you through the history of slavery in America. I'm going to take you to 1619. And when the, you know, the curriculum cites that as the beginning of, of America, according to them, uh, what happened in 1619? 1619, 20 captured slaves were sold in Jamestown, Virginia. Um, whatever, 20 captured slaves, I, I read they were indentured servants. That, that in itself just changes everything, an indentured servant. And they were expected to work for seven years, and after that they would receive their freedom and land. And what I read, most of them went on to become wealthy landowners. Um, you don't hear that part, do you? Um, and, and you see, they, they, came, they worked for seven years. They probably came, I, I'm, I don't know, but the, I'm thinking that was the, their, their, the, the contract here. The, the, you know, if you bring us here to America, we'll work for you for seven years. Maybe. I don't know. But in, in 1651, this is sad, in 1651, slave trading became legal in Jamestown, Virginia. It became the law of the land. And, and what I read in 1671, 2,000 slaves were brought to Virginia to grow tobacco so they could export 40,000 pounds of tobacco to England. Um, but I want to say that was Virginia. That's Jamestown, Virginia. Jamestown, Virginia does not make up America. There was another settlement that maybe you heard about, Plymouth. And in Plymouth, let me take you back to 1641. In 1641, in Plymouth, they passed a law. Man-selling became illegal in Plymouth. Man-selling became illegal. That was a direct target against the African trade, uh, uh, slave trade that was going on. Plymouth said, not on our watch. That's not going to happen here. This is wrong. In, in 1646, Plymouth imprisoned the ship owners who, who docked in Plymouth. They, they, it was a, a slave trading ship, and they, they, they pulled into the wrong place, and Plymouth imprisoned the ship owners. Um, okay, so in, you know, let me tell you, 1776. Uh, you know what happened in 1776, the, the Declaration of Independence. And it begins, the, the Declaration of Independence begins, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Let's say all men are created equal. And I think they meant it. And when it says all men, it, didn't, it doesn't, it, not just white men, all men, every, human beings are created equal. And James Madison, he says it's wrong to admit in the Constitution the idea that there could be property in men. That's wrong. James Madison, one of our founding fathers, said, he called him out. No, this is wrong. Connecticut's Rogers Sherman called the slave trade iniquitous. New York's Governor Morris denounced slavery in the harshest of terms. George Mason said, every master of slaves is a born petty tyrant. And this, is, this is what our founding fathers would say about, uh, most of them would say this about slavery. William Bennett, he says, it is clear that all but a tiny few of the delegates to the Constitutional Convention morally disapproved of slavery. Our founding fathers were godly men, greatly influ influenced by the Great Awakening. They grew up during the Great Awakening under the preaching of Jonathan Edwards and John, and John Wesley and, and George Whitfield. And George Washington was influenced by that. Thomas Jefferson was influenced by that. James Madison was influenced by that. And so they, they were not happy with the subject of slavery. Um, I, 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 
I, I want to point this out. I feel like even in our, in our world today, you have, you have, okay, let me, let me, uh, you got cowboys with white hats on, you got cowboys with black hats on, right? You got the good guys, you got the bad guys. And, and, and it's always been true. In our world today, you have people who are fighting for justice, fighting for what's right, and you have other people doing their own thing and doing bad things. Nothing's changed. That was true back then when you had people in Plymouth who were worshiping God every day, serving God every day, and you had people in Jamestown, we just want to grow tobacco and we want to use black people to do it. Um, you, we, there was always this tension between the people who want to do the right thing and the people who don't want to do the right thing. In 1787, I think this is important, Northwest Ordinance was passed into law by a vote of 17 to 1. And I think that 1 is probably Jamestown. I don't know. Um, but it provided a path to statehood for settlements uh, northwest of the Ohio Valley. What that means is, um, at this point, 1787, they're allowing Ohio to be a state, Indiana to be a state, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, all of them, they're included in the United States of America now. But there's one key provision here, the prohibition of slavery for any territory wanting to be included in the United States. Slavery was outlawed. And what I want you to see, that was 1787, that was four years after the Revolution, American Revolution was over. Just four years after the American Revolution was over, they were addressing this issue. Slavery is not going to be allowed in this country. This was the first time in history, William Bennett says this, the first time in history of the world that the principle of equality was so recognized. 1787, Massachusetts had already abolished slavery. New Hampshire, Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania were well on their way to abolishing slavery. Emancipation was advancing in New York and New Jersey. And then I want you to get this. 1807, America became the first nation to ban slave trading. America was the first nation to ban slave trading in what that is less than 20 years after we became a nation. So it's not true when, when, they, when they want to paint this picture how terrible America is. Yes, we had slaves. That's a terrible thing. There's a blight on our history there. But to, 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 to write off all of America is a bad place. I want you to see there was a fight going on. And that fight was being led by godly people, Christian people. And they said, this is wrong. 1861 to 1865, there was a civil war. And over 600,000 Americans died to end slavery. I want you to understand, America was never, never a world leader in the global slave trade. Between 1501 and 1875, 12.7 million people were taken out of Africa and sold into slavery. 12.7 million. Where did they go? 12.7 million people were taken out of Africa. Did they all come here? It's not, that's not history. 43% of them went to Portugal and Brazil. 24% went to Great Britain. 15% went to Spain. 11% went to France. 5% went to the Dutch. 2.5% went to the United States. The United States is guilty. Slavery is a part of our history. But we were not, never a leader. The African slave trade was a global epidemic. This is not the history of white America. 
It's the history of humanity, including white people, including black people, including people of all color. We are a sinful people. I, I, I say all that because I think Christianity gets a bad rap when it talks about slavery in the Bible because, because our reference point is American slavery. And, and, and when the Bible was written was under the Roman, uh, Roman rule during the Roman Empire. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. Okay. Lost my place. Okay. But under the Roman Empire, slavery was a totally different thing. It was, first of all, it wasn't race-based. Slavery wasn't race-based. And typically, slaves didn't work their whole life in slavery. Typically, at some point, they, they got their freedom. Another thing, 50% of the Roman Empire, were, they were slaves. And so I say all that, because our reference, if you're thinking about American slavery when you're reading the Bible, you're, I think you've got the wrong mindset of what this is addressing, what this is talking about. In the Bible, there are three types of slaves, um, th- three types of slavery. And, and, and the first one I want to address is, is somebody who's been stolen or kidnapped and sold into slavery. Um, as this is how America was founded, okay, that is in the Bible. And, and does anybody know, uh, what's the example in the Bible of somebody who was sold into slavery? Yeah, Joseph. Joseph, you remember uh, Jacob's son, Joseph? Uh, it says in Genesis 37, Judah said to his brothers, what, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's not kill, let's, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay, our hands on, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. It's mighty nice of him, isn't it? Um, not to kill him, but to sell him into slavery. Um, and it says, uh, and his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, the brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. And I just want to note, Joseph, a white guy, was sold to Africa. I just think it's interesting here. Um, so anyway, but Exodus, Exodus 21 addresses this. Exodus 21, 16 says, anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or still has him when he's caught, must be put to death. Is that not what happened during the African slave trade? People were being kidnapped. They were being stolen, and they were being sold. And, and I want you to see the Bible has always condemned this, always condemned this. And the penalty for doing this is death. And what you see it in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy 1, chapter, uh, verse 9, it says, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and the rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, the irreligious, uh, for, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for, for adulterers, for perverts, and for slave traders. It's there. It's right there. It calls them out. This is ungodly. This is wrong. The Bible clearly condemns this, clearly condemns slave trading. Christianity does not promote or justify slave trading. Slave trading is an abomination to God. It is now. It always has been. You need to know that. That's just one type of slavery, though. There's another type of slavery I feel like we need to address, and that would be prisoners of war. Now, and, and think about this. Okay, so a nation goes to war against you, and, and you conquer them. What do you do? Just act like it never happened? Uh, typically, the people who, cock, who came, came after you, who, who declared war on you, and you're victorious, you're going to do one of two things. What are you going to do? You're either going to enslave them, or you're going to kill them. 
At that point, I'm thinking slavery doesn't look that bad. Okay, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. Um, and, and examples in the Bible of this would be Daniel and Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego, um, who were, when, when Israel was destroyed by Babylon, m- most of the people were killed, were slaughtered. But Daniel, Meshach, and Shadrach, and Abednego, they were taken in exile. A lot of them were taken to exile to live in Babylon in slavery. They were servants of the king. Um, so there's prisoners of war. That's one type. But the most common type of slavery in the Bible would be a bond servant. And bond indicates there's some kind of financial connection, right? You're a servant, but you're a bond servant. And it, it, can you think of an example of this in the Bible? What, what? I'm thinking of Jacob. You remember the story of Jacob? Who, Jacob, this is in Genesis 29. Jacob was so in love with Rachel. And he, said, he said to Laban, he said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your, your younger daughter, Rachel. It's not the whole story, but it sets up what I'm, what I'm trying to say here. He worked for, he made an agreement. It was a contract. I will work for seven years for you if you will give me, what? In this case, give me Rachel. You and I do the same thing. I did this when I joined the Navy. I worked for the Navy for six years. I was in the Navy for six years, and they would agree to pay my college. I worked for them six years, and they really didn't pay for my college. But that's what, that was the agreement, though. So we, made, we had this agreement. You, you do the same. You do this when you go to work. You go to work for an agreement. I will go to work Monday through Friday, you know, eight, day, eight hours a day, whatever, and you pay me X amount of dollars. We are bond servants. Everybody's a bond servant. And, and as soon as you try to get out of it, they dangle a little bit more money in front of you. And then you go, okay, I'll sign up again. I'll do more, you know. Or, or some people, they, they pay to go away. Uh, they, they don't want you to be their servant. Uh, so you, but, but there's all these, you and I, I, this works for you. We're bond servants. And, and it says, slaves, submit. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. What's the instructions here? The instructions, submit. You know, you're... You've got this agreement, you've got this contract, you need to, under, you need to know your place, you need to know where you are in the, in, the, in the chain of authority. Submit, be respectful. And he really highlights this other part here, um, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. It's like Peter goes out of his way to point this out. Submit and be respectful, even to the masters who are harsh. And, and, and maybe this describes your situation. Maybe you're in this situation. You, you, you're just not getting along with the boss. Um, you're, you're butting heads with them all the time. And what Peter is basically saying, don't be making excuses for your insubordination. Don't justify your, rebellion, your, your, your rebellious spirit. I, I'm thinking, I, I really struggle with it. Why, why, why? And, and, and the answer I'm coming with is because maybe these people more than any need to see Christ in you. You are there for a reason. You have a job to do, and that job doesn't mean you're, the job they're paying you for. You are on a mission from God. Why, why are we supposed to submit and be respectful even to harsh masters? It, it was the same in verse 19. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. And see, I think this is what gets, gets lost. For the typical American worker, the typical American Christian worker, you go to work and it's about you and the boss. And what this is saying, no, it's not about you and the boss. It's about you and God. The boss, the, who cares about the boss? 
It's, it's not, not even, we are aliens in this world. We are strangers in this world. We're never going to fit in with this world. And, and God has us here for a reason. So be mindful of God. Stop being so mindful of the boss and start being more mindful of God. God, what is it you're asking me to do here? What do you want me to do here? Um, so first of all, we do this because we're conscious of God. We're mindful of God. Secondly, it says this, this is commendable to God. Verse 20, how... How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Because God, ultimately it's God who has you there. Now, now there, there, there is a verse, where is it? In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21, it says, Were you slaves when you were called? When, 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 you, when you found Jesus Christ, were you a slave then? Then don't let it trouble you. That's what Paul says, don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. I mean, there's, there's a place, you know, if, if, if you pray about it and, and you say, God, I really don't like being here. This, this one's rough. And you hear from God and he says, okay, you know, uh, I got another job for you over here. But you need to be, you need to be prayed up there. This, it's about God's will. It's not about your will. It's not about the boss's will. Is if God put you there, you got to ask, God, did you put me here for a reason? Is there work for me to, be, to, to do? Do I need to bear up? Do I just need to shut up and, and submit and, and go on? Or, or can I go someplace else? And if you hear from God and he says, go someplace, go someplace else. But this, we do this because we're mindful of God. This is commendable to, to God. And this, to this you were called. It says in Ephesians 6, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart. Let, let me throw that in there. Just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your hearts, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. You go to the workplace mindful of your walk with God. You serve the Lord. Who cares what the boss is doing? This is where God has put you for the time being. It's not about your harsh master. It's about God. Are you mindful of God? Do you trust God? <coughs> <coughs> Now, I want, I want to address another group of slaves that don't have this in your outline, but I felt like it needed to be addressed. Um, you, you think about Joseph, who was sold into slavery. You think about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were captured into slavery, um, you know, in prisoners of war. Uh, the, you think about Jacob, a bondservant. Um, when, when I think about slaves in the Bible, the, the group that comes to my mind, for the most part, would be the Hebrew people in Egypt. And, and as I was thinking about that, I thinking, well, they weren't, they weren't kidnapped and sold into slavery. That's not how it happened. Um, and, and, and they weren't, they, they never went to war with Egypt. They weren't, they weren't prisoners of war. Uh, and, and were they bond servants? Is that how it happened? So I'm, I'm wrestling with, with this here and, and, and thinking, you know, how did, the, how did the Hebrew people become slaves in Egypt and what I think happened is it's kind of like the frog in the kettle thing. It just happened gradually over time. And they didn't see it coming. Because when they went there, you know, Joseph, their, their, their brother, was prime minister, and they got prime rib, and they got the great living conditions. They had it all. They, it was good because Joseph was a prime minister, and that's, their, that's family. But after Joseph went away, you know, they were there for 400 years. Something happened during those, those 400 years, and it got bad. It got bad. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if the same thing's happening here to you and I here in America, where over time, we don't, we're not even seeing it coming. 
And all of a sudden we wake up and it's bad. And we're enslaved to all these things going on. What's going on? And with the Hebrew people, what I want to point out, God allowed it. I would say God predestined it. God even prophesied about this in Genesis. It says in Genesis 15, he was talking to Abraham. The Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now, read this. I wish I had, I don't think I had this. I didn't think I had it up there. Um, I read that, and I want to ask you, is that talking about the Hebrew people? Or is that talking about us? Is that talking about Christians? And I know this is, this is about the Hebrew people, but I'm thinking there might be a message for you and I as well. Was it, it, you will be, um, they will enslave you. They will mistreat you. And I will punish them. And afterwards, you will come out with great possessions. But my point is, the Hebrew people were called to this, and it was hard. It was hard. Why, why would God allow his Hebrew people to go, his people, his chosen people, why would he allow their, his people to do, go through this? And I believe uh, a couple things stand out to me. I think he, he was protecting them from the Canaanites, the influence of the Canaanites. He, he knew if I left them in the land of Canaan, they're going to become like the Canaanites. They're going to become pagans just like everybody else. They're going to learn their ways. I can't have that. These are my, my people, my chosen people, my holy people. I don't want them learning the ways of the Canaanites. I got, I got to get them out of there. So he takes them down to Egypt. And, and what's interesting, if, if, and he, in Genesis 43, when, when Joseph's brothers uh, meet up with him, if you remember the story, Joseph's brothers meet up with him, and he doesn't even know he's their brother yet. It says they served Joseph by himself, and the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrew people, for that would be detestable to the Egyptians. I read this, and what I think is going on here, see, the, the Hebrew people shouldn't have anything to do with Canaanites because that's detestable to the Hebrew person. So you get the Hebrew people down to Egypt, and the Egypt, Egyptians wouldn't have anything to do with the Hebrews because that's detestable to the Egyptians. So, so when, when, they, when they get to Egypt, the Hebrew people were segregated from the Egyptian people. They, they lived in, in Goshen. They didn't even live in Cairo where all the other people lived. They lived in a different place. They ate at different tables. They had nothing to do with the Egyptians. So here is basically like God put his people in a cocoon to protect them from the Canaanites and to protect them from the, the influences of the Egyptians so he could forge for himself a people who would be distinct, a people who would be a chosen people, a holy people, a people belonging to God. If you've been with me for a couple of weeks, that's, that's right out First Peter. That's, that's how you and I are supposed to be. We're supposed to be distinct. We're supposed to be a holy, a chosen people, a people belonging to God. And for the Hebrew people, it took a few years for that to happen in slavery. That's how God prepared them to be the people they needed to be. So slavery for the, uh, in, in Egypt for the Hebrew people was, was like a cocoon. Maybe for you and I, you know, he's got us in a cocoon where, you know, at work where it's unbearable and you feel enslaved. But maybe it's God's cocoon to protect you and to grow you, and to transform you. And, and, and what I see, my message here is we need to be mindful of God. He's got you. He has reasons for having you where, he, where, where you are. You live your life for him. Be good, be faithful, be respectful, 
Bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because it is because your conscience of God. Be respectful, do good. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And, and I look at verse 21 here. This is back page of the outline. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I, I want to consider, consider the example of Christ. It, it goes on. He says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so we might die to sins and live in, for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, and now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus Christ is our example. And, and I look at this text, and what we know, what we know of Jesus, he didn't sin, he didn't retaliate, he wasn't deceptive, he made no threats. What did he do? What did he do? He trusted God. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And he kept doing good. And get this, he bore our sins. I want you to see that. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's what he was called to do. He did this so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And you and I have been called to bear up under the pain of unjust suffering because we're conscious of God, as servants of God, as slaves of God, as ambassadors of Christ, living with, living with unjust governments, living with unjust bosses, living with imperfect spouses, we bear this, this, this pain. We, we bear this suffering as Christ bore his suffering. He did it to liberate us so we might die to sins and live for righteousness. We do it so we may liberate others, so they may know Christ like we know Christ. God is using it to, for us, He's using it for them, and he's using it for his glory. And all that gets lost when we start complaining and grumbling and, and saying, I don't like this, I feel enslaved. It's not what Jesus did. We have a high priest. The Bible says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. We have a high priest who sympathizes with us in every way. He knows what it's like when people say, things about you that's not true. Happened to him. He knows what it's like when, when people turn on you and, and, and they want to crucify you. Happened to him. He knows what it's like when a friend betrays you. He knows what it's like when the legal system turns on you. He knows what it's like when people are trying to control you with fear or intimidation or, or punishment. He knows what it's like when you're trying to do what's right in the eyes of God and everyone else is coming down on you and judging you and saying cruel things about you. I'm so glad we live in a world where, where we don't worship a God who's immune, immune to the suffering that we experience. He came here. He experienced it firsthand. He entered our world and experienced this suffering. He did it so he could liberate us from this suffering. Jesus suffered for you. That's what it says in verse 21. To, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you. If you have your Bibles, you ought to underline it. He did it for me. He did it for you. To redeem you, to rescue you, to save you. And he left you an example that you would do it for others. 
He left us an example. Can you imagine Jesus Christ whining or complaining? It's not fair. They're being mean to me. Jesus doesn't do that. We do that. We go to the workplace. We whine. We complain. Jesus didn't whine. He didn't, he didn't complain. He didn't slander people. He didn't retaliate. Why, why not? Why, why didn't he do any of these things? He, he, because he, the people who killed him, he wanted them to experience redemption. He, he prayed for them. He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You and I, we're aliens. We're strangers in this world. Why are we here? Why, why not just go to heaven? I want to go to heaven right now, but God won't let me. Why not? Because there's a job to do. There's work to do here. We are his agents. We are his servants. We're here to bring other people to him. Jesus was the chosen lamb of God to die for our sins. You are his chosen people, a royal priesthood to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into the wonderful light. You and I are called to live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse us of doing wrong, they see our good deeds and they glorify our Father in heaven. This is why we do not retaliate. This is why we do not threaten. This is why we do not slander. Peter's message is we need to submit, be respectful, bear up under pain, the pain of unjust suffering, endure. This is commendable before God. This is how God will make himself known. This is what needs to happen for the miracle of redemption to happen in other people's lives. And let me say this. We see it in marriages all the time. In marriages, spouses, one of the worst places, I'm going to talk about this next week, spouses can be the most hurtful of all people. We hurt each other. The spouses feel enslaved. The woman feels enslaved. The man feels enslaved. The marriages that make it are the ones where the spouses submit to one another and respect one another and endure the things that you shouldn't have to endure, but you endure it, and you trust God, and you serve God wholeheartedly. And those marriages make it. I apply the same thing to the workplace. We, we, we need to submit, respect, and bear up so we can be the people that God's calling us to be. Let me, let me close with uh, two thoughts here. First of all, stop justifying your, your sin when people wrong you. Seems to me there's a lot of people today, Christians included, who justify their anger or their rebelliousness or their critical spirit because, because how bad people are treating you. So we, we, can, just, we can justify anything. Um, a lot of people who seem to be angry or bitter or critical or slanderous, they, they, they can't wait to tell you how badly they've been treated, you know, how, how they've been hurt, how somebody let them down. Seems to be an attitude even among Christians that we can use criticism and slander and put-downs and threats and grudges to, to pay back, to make sure they get theirs. seems to me less and less do we hear people, Christian people, say, I, I will not be bitter. I will not retaliate. I will not criticize. I will not slander. I will return good for evil. I will bless rather than curse. That, that, this, this is so biblical. This is what Christ has called us to. And I think we really need to rediscover these deep biblical teachings that God has called each one of us to, to endure this suffering without bitterness or without revenge 
without any desire to, to pay back, let us follow in his steps. That's what it says in verse 21. We, he left us an example so we would follow in his steps. In your workplace, can I just ask you, are you following in his steps? Are you being the servant of Christ that you've been called to be in the workplace? 